standing in Him complete. Not because of our works, not because of our goodness, not because of anything in us. We stand complete in Christ alone. This is our constant theme as a body, as believers, rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have the privilege of being called your children. You have adopted us as your own because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have removed from us the old garments spotted by the flesh. You've removed from us a destiny separate from you because of our sin, because you have canceled the sin debt. When Jesus died in the cross, he paid it all. Thank you, Father, that you've given to us sonship. You've given to us righteousness. You've given to us joy and rejoicing. You've given to us heaven through the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus. Help us this morning as we continue to worship you in the word that we would be yielded to you, that we would leave here rejoicing in what you've accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to introduce you to a word. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. It's the term recidivism. Recidivism. The Bureau of Justice Statistics studies have found high rates of recidivism among released prisoners. One study tracked 404,638 prisoners in 30 states after their release from prison in the year 2005. Are you ready for the statistics? Within three years of release, about two-thirds of the released prisoners were rearrested. The actual percentage was 67.8%. Within five years of release, about three-quarters of released prisoners were rearrested. The actual percentage was 76.6%. And interestingly, not happily, of those prisoners who were rearrested, more than half, 56.7%, were arrested by the end of the first year. Hmm. Here's the moral of the story. The heart of man is wicked or deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the heart of man. Note this statement. Being delivered from bondage does not ensure freedom. Being delivered from bondage does not Ensure freedom. But I want to tell you a better story. I want to tell you a story that has a better outcome. I want to tell you a story that has a better outcome because it has a better source, better intentions, and unlimited power. I want to tell you a story about a God who delivers us from deep darkness and the darkness of a kingdom 
And He puts us into a kingdom with a better ruler. With better rewards because of a better redemption. We do not receive release because we've paid our due or because we've paid our for our crimes. You've heard that statement. I did my time. I paid my dues. I paid for my crime. This is not the kind of release we're speaking about. The kind of release we're talking about is that Jesus paid my due. Jesus paid for my crimes. This is the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ alone. So let me tell you, release from bondage does not ensure freedom. But I want to talk to you about a better kind of freedom. I want to talk to you about a better kind of release from bondage. I want to talk to you about a redemption that sets us free because this kind of delivery is from something Delivered from something, but also delivered to something. It's not an end unto itself. It's not like, okay, I'm out of jail, now what? The kind of deliverance that's offered to us by our God through Jesus Christ is deliverance from one thing, one kind of a kingdom, and deliverance unto another thing, another kind of kingdom, and they are radically different. This is the amazing results of real redemption. It's not just freedom from sin or escape from the penalty of our sin. It's escape from that whole bondage that is associated and it it is released unto something far better. There's a reason why prisoners go back to what they have known. It's because that's what they have known. And they don't know the better and right way. But the scriptures give us give us a better way. They give us a right way. Jesus gives us the way because he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is, this is the message of the Bible. Again and again and again that God rescues us. This morning, we want to give thanks because our Father has saved us out of deep darkness. Take a look, please, at Colossians chapter 1. We're only going to consider verses 12, 13, and 14. Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood. Will you say it with me? The forgiveness of sins. Yes. 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 Listen, this morning, this passage is not demanding a lot out of us. This passage is calling us toward thanksgiving. It's telling us to give thanks because of what God, the Father, has done through Jesus Christ. And this morning we want to consider this by three redemptive acts in this passage. Three redemptive acts. The first redemptive act that God has performed that we are giving thanks for is this. He has made us worthy. 
He has made us worthy. Look at verse 12 again. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Who has qualified us. The words mean to make sufficient. It's used this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, we are who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He has made us sufficient as ministers. God makes us sufficient. But the word is used elsewhere, same word, in other passages that really give us even a a deeper meaning than just this idea of sufficiency. Like sufficient, well that's enough. I had some some oatmeal, well that's enough. Sufficient. It's filled my belly. It's good enough. Had a little bit of brown sugar in it. A little bit of maple syrup. Whatever you've got in the thing, it's fine. It's probably not your favorite. Right? Maybe it is your favorite. Some people love oatmeal. More power to you. You're a good person. You're better than I am. I would like something other than oatmeal. So I want to go beyond sufficient. And I really want to go to the, like, the top. Consider the word and how it's used in Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not I'm not worthy to carry. The word worthy is the one we're looking at. Now this is used in the negative. In fact, it's going to be used a second time. Same word, Matthew 8.8. 8. You'll remember this centurion. The centurion answered and said, remember he had a sick one at home. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve your presence. And here's what Paul said. Again, it's stated in the negative, and we're going to turn it back to the positive because that's the context in Colossians. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's saying, I'm not worthy. All three of those scenarios that we just pointed, I'm not worthy to to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy that you come into my house. I'm not worthy to be an apostle. And yet here in Colossians chapter 1, what the Bible is telling us is that through Jesus Christ, we're giving thanks to the Father who has made us worthy. He has made us worthy. Who made us worthy? Well, I changed the way I was. I used to be like this, and now I'm like this. I've made myself fitting. Good luck. That's not what it says. God the Father has made us worthy. Well, head back to Colossians. Actually, you didn't go anywhere. Look down at verse, verse 10. We, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Last week, maybe. It says that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Now, it's a different Greek word, but it's the same idea. And I want to ask you this question. Are you worthy of the Lord? Are you worthy of the Lord? Let me ask you a follow-up question or several. Do you feel worthy? Do you feel worthy of the Lord? Let me ask you this. Have you trusted Jesus as your only means of eternal salvation? Do you feel worthy? Are you worthy? 
Should you feel worthy once you recognize that he has qualified you or made you worthy? Should you feel worthy? Well, here's what Paul is praying. He's praying for this church. He says, I pray this all the time. I don't stop praying for you, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, right? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, with all long-suffering or patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us. He has made us fitting. He's made us worthy. Should you feel worthy when you know that God has made you worthy? Well, what has he made us worthy of? He says, he's made us worthy to be partakers. Here's some more feeling questions. Ready? You love talking about your feelings, don't you? Have you ever felt left out? You ever the last one picked on the on, at recess? Like, yeah, yeah, I'll take Johnny. I'll take Sarah. I'll even take Gertrude. Oh, I guess I'm stuck with you. You ever, you ever that one? Feeling left out? I, we've probably all been in that situation. Have you ever been passed over a promotion? Have you ever caught wind of a couple of couples getting together at their house and you're like, oh man, wish I could have been there. You ever felt left out? Well, here's what Paul is saying. Here's what God is saying. You can give thanks because God has made you worthy to be a part taker. You're in this thing. In fact, you're not just in like this, this gathering of a couple. He has given you, if you're a believer, a central role in the greatest reward in the greatest kingdom. A central role. You're a partaker of what? The inheritance of the saints in the light. This, this is too good this is too good to fathom. Hold your hand here. We're going to come back. But take a look over at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Remember, we're talking about God's redemptive acts. We're giving thanks for God's redemptive acts. And the first one is that He has made us worthy. He's made us fitting. When God makes you worthy, there is nowhere in which you fall short of that worth. This is the great thing about knowing the gospel and knowing the scriptures. It's not like, okay, God will bring you just so far and you've got to drag yourself the rest of the way there. That's, that is the rest of religion. And unfortunately, many people in the realm of biblical Christianity have dragged that concept into the Christian life. Well, Jesus will get you saved, but you really got to do some things to make sure you're a good person, make sure you're doing good works, and make sure your character is such, and you don't say those bad words that everyone else says, and, and you don't do those bad things that everyone else does, and, and then you'll be fitting. And that, friends, 
That comes from the devil himself. God makes us worthy through Jesus. And when he does, by the way, he also changes some things in our lives. So maybe our speech then is different. And our actions then are different. But we're not going to put the cart before the horse and say, we'll do these things and now God will be happy with us. No, God has told you he's happy with you. You know how? He killed his son. He tortured his son. He poured his wrath out on his son. Every ounce of the wrath that you deserve was poured out on his son because God wanted to make you worthy. And he wanted to make me worthy. This this is the gospel. This is the God that we worship. This is why we give thanks to the Father. What has he done? He's made us worthy of the greatest reward in the greatest kingdom. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. God's word says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Do you see how a Christian does have their life changed? They do. If there's no life change, there's no evidence the Spirit's leading, right? If there's no evidence that the Spirit's leading, there's no evidence of sonship. If there's no sonship, there's no salvation. But who's doing the work? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you'll live. Okay, this is good news. This is the gospel. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, what? Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we might also be glorified together. You know, the inheritance that we're talking about is not like, well, if I know that you know my, my, my grandparents have this much money, and there are so many of us, there's like five of us that will be impacted, and there's my parents, and I'm sure they'll get a cut. We're working on how to figure out how much of this is going to fall to me. Don't tell me you've never thought about anything like this, because I know you're lying. We're talking about the inheritance that is incomparable. You want to know how big this inheritance is? There is nothing, nothing outside of its encompassing reality. In Hebrews 1, I love the book of Hebrews. It makes me smile. God introduces the book of Hebrews by saying his name first. It says this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. 
God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us. How? Through the Son, the real word, whom he has appointed, what does it say? How much is he heir of? All things. things. And and who are you a joint heir with? And he's heir of what? Guess what you're an heir of? Hmm. Does it feel like you're an heir of all things? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's like, well, could I have a little bit of that inheritance now, Father? (laughs) We know a story about that in the Bible. (laughs) I I don't suggest that you go that way. But sometimes we'd like a little bit of it now. To, to pay the bills and to deal with someone's crooked teeth or some surgery that we have to deal with. But, hey, listen, we're not about today. God has made you, if, if you've trusted him as your Savior, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, God has made you worthy. Worthy! Worthy! To be a central figure in this inheritance that is unlike any inheritance ever offered to anyone, ever. All things. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what God has done. He has made us worthy of it. Now, it goes on back in Colossians chapter 1, still in verse 12. What in the world is he talking about when he says, the inheritance of the saints in the light? He says that you've become worthy of the inheritance or to become become partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. What is he getting at? He's transitioning. He's transitioning to what he's about to tell us about. And here's how he does it. He's thanking the Father for making us worthy and now he's transitioning to a concept of changing our kingdom. Changing our kingdom. Whether you know it or not, for your whole life you've been building your own little kingdom. And you think, well, I like things when they're this way. This is the way that I like things set up. This is the way I I like to order things. And when someone interferes with my kingdom, curse be upon them. (laughs) Whether that be your kids, because, you know, they kind of crimp your style from time to time. Or it be your spouse or a neighbor who's uh, you know, impinging upon your property with his fence. You know all the things that impinge or, or, or mess up your kingdom. Here you are, you have a place to be at a certain time, and this guy, he doesn't know how to drive. And he just comes plowing right out at you and cuts you off, and you're like, hey, this is my space. That's your kingdom. You've been building that kingdom since you were born. That little girl, not the beautiful one holding the beautiful one, the beautiful one being held, that little girl has her own little kingdom. If you don't feed her on time, guess what? She's going to let you know. Building her own little kingdom. God has done something about our kingdom problem. He says, he's made you a partaker in the inheritance of the saints in the light. And here's how Paul says this, a little bit different. When he's giving his testimony to 
to one of the kings. He, he's in Acts chapter 26. He's giving his testimony. And, and he then he quotes the words of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to him at his commissioning service. I will deliver you, Paul, from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. And here's what I'm delivering you to do. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And if you didn't get it the first time, what I mean by that is, and from the power of Satan, darkness, to God, light. Changing the kingdom from darkness to light. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. So this was Paul's commissioning service by Jesus. There weren't many people present. But here's what God said. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go with the gospel. And you're going to, you're going to give people the gospel. And what I'm going to do, you're going to go and give the message. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take them from darkness to light. I'm going to take them from the kingdom of Satan. I'm going to put them into the kingdom of myself. This is what I'm going to do. This is what happens. When we are redeemed, we are transitioned from darkness and the power of darkness to light and the kingdom of light. And so here's what he's doing here in Colossians chapter 1. He's giving us this this transition. And he, he steps it one step further when we get to verse 13. The first redemptive act that we're giving thanks for is that God has made us worthy. The second redemptive act that we're giving thanks for is that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. Take a look at verse 13. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's delivered us from darkness. Well, what do you mean? He's delivered us from the, what does it say? Power. Power of darkness. Let's look at a couple verses of Scripture to kind of get a a fuller, richer appreciation of what's being said. Take a look at Luke 22, please. Luke chapter 22. You don't need any explanation as to the context. The context will be self-evident as soon as I begin reading in Luke 22 and verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them we know his name, his name is Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, excuse me, then Jesus said to the chief priests, captives of the temple, and the elders who came to him, who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. Listen carefully to what he's about to say. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. Notice this, please. 
Get this in your head, please. The power of darkness is many times demonstrated through human actions. The power of darkness is many times demonstrated through human actions. Now, notice, remember back in Colossians 1, He, God, has delivered us, believers, from the power of darkness. Is the power of darkness currently eliminated? Or is it active? Active, Active, right? So we might say, appropriately, that God has delivered us from submission to the power of darkness. Or, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, bondage. The power of darkness no longer ought to be my master. The power of darkness ought never to be my master again. It doesn't have the right to be. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. God has delivered us from the power of darkness. The power of darkness many times is seen through human actions. You'll remember that Satan influenced David. Now, now what do we know about David? The sweet psalmist of Israel, king of Israel, but you know where I'm getting at. The man after God's own heart. Satan influenced him to number the people. If David can be influenced, can I? Yes. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. He says, For you were once, what? But now you are, what? Light in the Lord. What does he tell us to do? Walk as children of the light. So he tells us, You used to be darkness, now you're light. Walk as who you are. The implication there is we could actually still walk as though we were children of darkness. But we're children of light. We've been delivered from this. The power of darkness should have no sway on us any longer. Take a look a little further. Ephesians chapter 6, please. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, sometimes we do. That's not an excuse. We're not supposed to be wrestling against flesh and blood. Maybe I would say it that way. But what we do wrestle against is this. Principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Alright, so we've got darkness around us, and yet, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. Look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong. What are those next three words? In the Lord. In the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the 
whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so really what he's telling us here in this passage is when you put on the armor of God, you will stand. That's how the uh, New American Standard translates it. When you put on the whole armor of God, you will be able to stand. Is that, is that giving us deliverance from the power of darkness? Yes, it is, friends. We have been delivered. We've been delivered. Darkness has no right or ability to rule over us. If we are Christ's, God has delivered us from the power of darkness. But sometimes, instead of operating in accordance with the power that has been manifest and given to us, we choose to do it our own way. And we are little vessels fit for Satan's use. Do it your way, serve Satan. Yield yourself to God, serve him. It always comes down to this issue of whose kingdom am I going to live for? When I live for my kingdom, I'm serving the purposes of Satan. When I am submitting myself to God's kingdom, I'm serving him. See the difference? Satan doesn't care whose kingdom you serve as long as it's not God's. Particularly not Jesus's. He doesn't care. You can can go worship a stone. You can go worship your house. You can worship your job. You can worship your wife. You can worship your children. You can worship whatever you want. Worship anything. He's good with it. Just don't worship Jesus. Because that is what changes lives. Worshiping Jesus. Following Jesus. Recognizing who Jesus is. We're giving thanks to the Father because of the first redemptive act, He has made us worthy. The second redemptive act, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Here's a third redemptive act that we're thanking God the Father for. He has delivered us into a better kingdom. Mm, 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 mm. Delivered us into a better kingdom. Look back at Colossians chapter 1. In the middle of the verse, we'll start at the beginning just because I love reading the Bible, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The word conveyed is used five times in the New Testament. Five times. This is one of them, so we're going to pull that down. That leaves four. Three of them, the word is translated removed. Removed. And I'll remind you of one of those uses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as though I had all faith so that I could remove mountains. So here's what we're talking about. The kind of faith that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is the one that would take this mountain that's in this location, lift it up, and transport it and put it over here. Remove mountains. He's saying God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, removed us. Where? into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He has changed my kingdom. He's changed my kingdom. He didn't just deliver me from darkness and the power of darkness. He delivered me unto another kingdom, a better kingdom, a kingdom that is matchless. The kingdom of Jesus. It says the Son of His love. The ESV translates it, Beloved Son. That's the right translation right there. 
He's translated me or conveyed me into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's no one like the beloved son. He's unique. He is special. He's beloved. What does it mean to be in someone else's kingdom? It means we're not in charge. It means we're not in charge. It stinks to be under someone else's lordship, doesn't it? I want you to think about this for a second. Kings make rules that they don't live by themselves. Kings produce programs that they don't participate in. Healthcare, anyone? It stinks to be under someone else's lordship, doesn't it? This is why God warned Israel not to seek a king like the rest of the nations. And this is what he said. It's not going to be on the screen and you're not turning there. Just listen. Trust me, I'm reading to you God's word from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. Here's what God conveyed to Israel. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and uh, and of your vineyards and give to to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. Kind of stinks to be under someone else's lordship. We don't like to be someone else's servant. We kind of like to do our own thing and be our own person. So when we talk about being transitioned, removed from the power of darkness, well, there's, we've got a king there. He's not very nice, by the way. He removes us from this and he conveys us into another kingdom. So we're still slaves, but it's... It's the kingdom of his beloved son. I want to talk about this king for a minute. This king isn't the one who says, I'm going to take from you. I'm going to extract from you for my purposes. I'm going to pull everything you got. I'm going to make my kingdom better for me and your kingdom worse for you. This is what I'm going to do. That's what the human kings do. I want to talk to you about this king for a minute. This king, there's no one like him. He's so interesting that the way that Paul goes on to describe him, now he is being inspired by the Spirit. So the way that God describes this king that we are now under is this way. It's his beloved son at the end of verse 13. But what does it say in verse 14? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What? A king who willingly died in my place? 
A king who allowed his own blood to be shed that I might be delivered from my sin? From Satan's domain? And from my eternal reward? A king who would die to redeem me from from that? A king who is the basis upon which I have a new reward? And a new kingdom? So what you're telling me is that the one who rules over me is the one who rescues me? Sign me up for that. That's a good deal. Now as we look at this passage, and we could exhaust it far more, as we look at this passage, all that we're being asked to do is give thanks to the Father. And honestly, he's not even asking us to do it because really we're only taking the implication because really Paul's saying, this is my prayer. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in, in every way, in wisdom and spiritual understanding. I, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you will walk worthy of the Lord, which means fully pleasing him. The way that that is demonstrated is that you will be fruitful in every good work. You'll increase in the knowledge of God. You'll know Him better. You'll be strengthened, not by the church, not by your own strength, not even by reading the Word, strengthened with His might, according to His glorious power, which results in all kinds of patience and long-suffering with joy. So we're going to We're going to give thanks to the Father because He is the one who qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And and He's the one that delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. The one by whom we have redemption. Redeemed means to be bought back by His blood. He didn't just buy us with silver and gold, we read earlier, but by His own precious blood as a lamb without spot, without blemish. His his blood which results in the forgiveness of sin. So he's not even asking us to give thanks but I think that there's there's an implication that this is our response, isn't it? So you came to church today and, and you probably wanted me to tell you to do something. We'll give thanks. Now maybe you sit here and maybe none of this resonates with you whatsoever. Maybe you don't have welling up within you this kind of thanksgiving that a believer does. Because a believer, when confronted with this, cannot help but give thanks to the Father that I've been made worthy. I'm not worthy, but He's made me worthy. A believer cannot help to give thanks when they recognize they've been delivered from a a satanic, tyrannical rule that only seeks to destroy and delivered into a kingdom 
that seeks to make you an heir of all things. And by the way, that's bought by the king himself. He says, I want you in my kingdom. I'm going to die for you. A believer can't help but give thanks to this. But maybe you sit here and it just doesn't resonate. I submit to you that you don't know God. I don't say that callously. I don't say that unkindly. I say that out of pity and mercy and love for you. If you don't have your heart resonating with thanksgiving and really full to overflowing with thanksgiving as we consider these things, you don't know God and you need to know him today. I beg you, come to to recognize the, the Bible is the word of God and it tells us without Christ we have nothing in fact, we have something worse than nothing. We have, we have something coming. It's alienation from God forever and his judgment forever. Now, Jesus paid a, a debt for, for us that we might not experience that wrath. And anyone that has come to know Jesus as their Savior will never come into condemnation, but only have the, the joy and righteousness that results in eternal life. But maybe you, you're not one of those I submit to you today, call upon the name of the Lord. Because the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you too can have a heart welling with joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving as you consider that the most unloving and unlovable people, us, have been made worthy and have been delivered and have been placed into a kingdom that yields everything for us, led by the king who died for us. There is nothing like this in all the world. And every week we get to talk about him. And every day, if you know him, you can talk with him. And every day, you can tell the world all around that doesn't have hope, and that does not have God, and is without any promises that that are real, that they have the potential, if they would trust Christ, of having everything that you have. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We are not of those who fall back unto perdition. There'll be no recidivist tendencies in us because you have purchased us and delivered us from the power of darkness and you've conveyed us into the kingdom of your beloved son we have redemption through him and we rejoice in this help us to leave here thrilled with who you are rejoicing in Jesus our savior and ready to bear witness of this to our family believers and unbelievers, and friends, believers and unbelievers, co-workers and neighbors, whether they believe, be believers or not, we all need to revel in what you have done. So send us forth with a message for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.